Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Compliance Clarified. My name is Alexander Robson, and I'm the Managing Editor of Regulatory Intelligence here in London. Today, I'm joined by Mike Cowan, Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert in London, and Henry Engler, Senior Editor in New York. And we're here to discuss the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, and specifically the role of regulators and the different approaches taken in the United States and the UK. SVB's collapse has sent shockwaves through the venture capital and technology industries. It has had uncomfortable echoes of the 2008 financial crisis, with regulators and other policymakers working through the weekend to engineer solutions to avoid further contagion and possible systemic risk. And that was last weekend. This weekend just gone, regulators and policymakers were busy with the shotgun wedding of UBS and Credit Suisse. In the UK, HSBC has bought SVB and its liabilities to the tech sector for £1. But the situation is different in the United States, where the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation has stepped in to protect all deposit holders, even though most of them, which are venture capital firms and tech companies, have way more in their accounts than the supposedly top limit of 250000 for insured amounts. The collapse of the specialist vendor has raised plenty of questions about risk management and the role played by regulators. Post-pandemic, central bankers have been steadily raising interest rates to fight persistently high inflation. Most of SVB's balance sheet was in longer-dated bonds, and the value of these fell as rates rose, which caused the subsequent run on the bank. Few seem to have questioned why no one at the bank appeared to hedge their risk. Events are still unfolding, but with clearly different results on either side of the Atlantic. There are many unknowns directly related to possible compliance and risk management concerns. As more facts surface, regulators and lawmakers are sure to investigate any failures in these areas. Such inquiries often lead to new regulations or regulatory change in the future. Henry, I'd like to start in the US. What is unusual about SVB and where does it fit in terms of the size of US banks for appropriately regulatory supervision compared with bigger banks? Thank you, Alex. What is unusual I think you've kind of put your finger on it, and it is essentially a scenario, a a situation where there was clearly mismanagement uh, by the top people at the organization. As you mentioned, they were invested in uh, long-dated treasury and mortgage-backed securities, and those securities, of course, lost considerable value as the Federal Reserve began tightening interest rates. And then on the deposit side, um, they had a level of 90% or more of deposits that were uninsured. So you had a a balance sheet that was basically um, a sort of crisis in waiting, if you will. And what's, what's really unclear is why the management tolerated this type of situation? Why did they not hedge those securities that clearly, I mean, if you had been 
awake in the last two years, you knew that the Federal Reserve was was poised to tighten monetary policy along with other central banks. And therefore, those types of assets will become losses on your on your balance sheet. So it, it, it the situation raises a host of questions um, which the Federal Reserve is reviewing. Um, they've announced a review last week of what went wrong at SVB. And uh, we will have also hearings in, in Washington. Lawmakers have scheduled um, a hearing later this month. But really, internally, it, it's difficult to understand how the management let things get to this point. Now, there was an article in the New York Times over the weekend uh, which shed some more light on the relationship between the Fed and and the bank. And essentially, um, the Fed supervisors had, had raised a number of questions and issues with the management about their um, risk management uh, strategies and felt that they were not taking appropriate steps to mitigate these types of risks in the event, particularly in the event that uh, there would be a run on the bank. And it seems as though if, if the reporting is correct, and I don't think there's any reason to question it, it seems as though the Fed went about as far as it could in in raising these issues and warning management um, that it, it it needed to take action to curb um, the potential for, for what happened, but they failed to act. And events unfolded and, and the crisis ensued. Now, your question about their oversight versus other large banks, well, what happened in 2018 is that we had a relaxation of some of the the rules governing banks like SBB because it was it was deemed that those institutions at that size really didn't need the type of heavy oversight and supervision that much larger banks like a JP Morgan or a Citibank for example um uh, experiences and so there was this this rollback of the initial Dodd-Frank rules for banks the size of Silicon Valley Bank and others. And what's now happening here is a debate as to whether or not that was a wise decision. Because had those rules remained in place, then the supervision of that bank would have been much more intense. There would have been stress tests scheduled on an annual basis, just like with the much larger banks in the U.S. And perhaps the situation could have been avoided. I mean, there are some people who say, no, it wouldn't have mattered. And uh, I mean, if, you know, the New York Times report suggests that the bank, the bank's managers were just reluctant to do what was clearly, you know, needed in terms of risk management. So perhaps, perhaps they're right. I, I don't know. Remains to be seen. There's a lot going on here for sure. Yes, I mean it's obviously a fast-moving situation, and you know the, the obvious question at the at the very beginning was, given that ninety percent of the deposits were uninsured and the bond portfolio was unhedged, was be why did the regulators tolerate this? From what you're saying, it sounds like they were aware. It's just that in the end, it wasn't enough to to stave off collapse, and doubtless congressional hearings will uh, uncover more about this. But another problem was that the fact that the bank 
didn't have a chief risk officer between April 22 and January 2023, which seems extraordinary. It, it does seem extraordinary. And, and here, I don't think we have any real insight as to why that was the case, at least not yet. One would imagine that that contributed to the problem if you don't have that type of senior risk officer in place um, at, a, at an organization that size. Um, but why that was the case, why that was tolerated, why the bank didn't put someone in place um, in that role, more questions, I'm afraid. And, you know, to be better understood as, as these investigations unfold by the Fed and, and, and Congress. Well, Mike, on the face of it, this seems to be a win for the post-financial crisis architecture in the UK, but it does raise questions about recovery and resolution planning. How do you think the regulators have performed in, in the UK? Uh, thanks, Alex. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think the government, the UK government and the UK regulators will be pleased with how they dealt with the impact collapse had in the UK just covering uh, some old ground very briefly, um, as you said, on uh, Monday the 13th of March, it was announced that Silicon Valley Bank UK would be sold to HSBC UK. That's the ring-fenced entity of HSBC for that pound. The message from government regulators and HSBC was that it was business as usual for the circa 3,300 customers of, of, of SVB UK. There will be no losses to depositors. Customers could access their money. Staff remain employed by Silicon, by the UK arm. Um, and the bank would open as normal. Um, previously, on the 10th of March, however, the bank had announced that it would, it would put SVB UK into insolvency. However, it appears that as discussions unfolded between government, the Bank of England and the financial services regulators, it was decided to use the bank's resolution powers as the UK's resolution authority uh, rather than go down the insolvency route. Uh, more of that in a minute. Uh, so the Banking Act 2009 was used. Uh, it created a special resolution regime uh, which gives HM Treasury, the, the government and the Bank of England tools for dealing with distressed UK banks and building societies. To be able to use these powers and stabilisation tools, there are a number of conditions that must be met. For example, there are four resolution conditions, one of which is to consider the public interest implications of letting the bank fail. And the bank announced that these conditions have been met so that they were given the green light to act as they did. And it was decided to use the tool of transfer to a private sector purchaser, uh, and this involves the transfer of all or part of the bank's business to a, an appropriately uh, authorised private sector purchaser. And so the sale to HSBC was made. And with no taxpayers' money being used and depositors' money safe and only limited disruption to services, I think the authorities would see this as a successful failure, if there is such a thing. Of course... Now, the postmortems as to whether actions by the bank were right ones begins. And I'm sure this on Henry's side, the US are going into a great deal more detail on this. But from a UK perspective, um, the governor of the bank, um, Andrew Bailey, has been summoned to appear in front of the Treasury Select Committee to answer questions on the effectiveness of bank regulation and the resolution procedures. 
especially for the smaller firms who play a key role in in seemingly strategically important industries. There is also scrutiny around whether this was the best solution, what other options the government were considering, and what arrangements had been discussed with HSBC. The Bank of England did seemingly change its mind from, from going down the insolvency route, as I said earlier, to exercising its resolution powers. And I think the Treasury and Select Committee will want further details on that decision, albeit that, again, on the face of it, there are good arguments for them doing so. So details are still really to come out around the circumstances of the collapse and the regulatory reaction to it. I think firstly, I mean, as I've mentioned, there will there will be scrutiny of the UK's recovery and resolution regime. I mean, the, the Treasury Select Committee have already um, uh, said as much. So firms in the UK have to put in place recovery and resolution plans, explaining how they would recover from a major impact to their business. And then if the situation became unco- unrecoverable, how they would close the firm in a controlled way. Now, for many smaller firms, the resolution of this, of, of, of a potential collapse, could be the identification of a so-called white knight. And as in the Silicon Valley UK case, where HSBC acted as a white knight, that could be a preferred option for, for many smaller firms. But there are other options available, such as the bailing of, of available assets to manage the uh, resolution uh, appropriately. Weaknesses in risk management, I mean, Henry's already um, mentioned this, um, and they will undoubtedly be be, be explored uh, in the US, but also by regulators in the UK. They will want to know how these weaknesses impacted the UK subsidiary, especially around the concentration risk that you guys have both spoken about, both with the firm's exposure to the tech sector in the UK and the implications that that had and how they man- went about managing that, but also the, the Treasury decisions that, that led to the increasing interest rate risk, which, which you, Alex, and, and Henry have already uh, chatted about. And, and the knock-on effect to, from the risk management um, um, issues, um, regulators will also want to scrutinise the governance arrangements here, especially around the relationship between the parent and the subsidiary and whether they were adequate. It's worth noting here that Silicon Valley Bank UK was actually a branch of Silicon Valley Bank until reasonably recently, uh, mid last year, I believe, uh, when it was made a separate legal entity. And finally, I just want to make a couple of wider uh, points around potential implications. There's obviously no good time for a bank collapse, but for the UK government's Edinburgh reforms, this may be a warning. If the intention within the Edinburgh reforms was to find ways to weaken banking regulations or in some way water them down, uh, in particular the ring-fencing arrangements that keep safer deposits from more risky investments, then perhaps that agenda needs to be reviewed. I mean, in line with the with the SVB collapse, but also the pressures on the wider banking community. You, you, you mentioned Credit Suisse at the beginning. And finally, there is the wider debate about, about moral hazard. You know, that is the, the impact that reliance on some form of bailout, either by government or other third party, has on the firm's current attitude to risk. I mean, this isn't a new debate, but it's perhaps renewed by the SVB situation. 
Um, in spite of messages from regulators uh, here in the UK and, and maybe globally, repeating that firms need, need to fail in an orderly manner and that banking isn't a zero failures game. But when it comes to the crunch, we do see firms being rescued. And in some firms, management re might rely on this, albeit a, a risky game, a bit of a gamble, uh, when making wider business decisions. Yeah, it's going to be a lot, a lot of fallout, at least in, in, in that regard. Henry, what do you think about uh, possible next steps in the U.S.? Well, I think I think Mike has alluded to some of the some of the issues and questions that have come up here as well. Um, in terms of deposit insurance, there's now a d debate going on as to whether or not um, deposit levels should be much higher than the two hundred fifty thousand um, that's currently in place. Um, but there again, that raises, as Mike suggests, a moral hazard question and. You know, certainly here, when after the 2008 financial crisis, the Dodd-Frank rules that came into effect were supposed to um, allow for a scenario where you could have banks failing in an orderly fashion and not, you know, revert to this type of government bailout, if you will, is the term that's being used here quite often. Um, so I, th I think... In terms of the regulators, uh, there, there will be questions as to what they can do on their own, independent of Congress, to look at what happened, see whether or not they could put tighter controls in place for banks of, of this size. So we're, here we're talking about large regional banks. And, and what's clear is that these larger regional banks, um, should one of them fail, they, they could have a knock-on effect on the group, which, which could be quite severe and, and, and lead to additional you know, bank runs and, and possibly bank failures. So I think there'll be a lot of attention paid to what regulators can do to in, increase their oversight and perhaps um, be more proactive in terms of uh, these types of banks in, in, in the U.S. Then the next question is, what, what will Congress do, if anything? I mean, they will, yes, they will hold hearings. They will bring the regulators up to Capitol Hill and ask them, um, you know, grill them with tons of questions about what happened. Um, but will they be in a position to, let's say, uh, reinstate some of the Dodd-Frank rules that were relaxed under the Trump administration? Um, it's, it's unclear, I think, right now whether Congress will do that. It's just, you know, as, as, as we all know, the, the, the political divisions in Congress are such that it's very hard for any sort of bipartisan efforts on, on any issue. Um, this might be an area where there could be greater cooperation between Democrats and Republicans, since this affects everyone. And therefore, we might see an effort uh, in Congress to, to perhaps revisit the rules that were relaxed in 2018, uh, given, given what happened. But yeah, remains to be seen. And Mike, I mean, you alluded to... Um... Edinburgh reforms, uh, perhaps we might park some ideas about uh, 
major reforms to the ring fence, among other things. Any any final thoughts? Yeah, um, on the Edinburgh reforms, yeah, that process is progressing and the, the ring fence arrangements, which are one of the implications here, I guess, are being um, reviewed, um, well, as we speak, I guess. I mean, my, I think they're quite well advanced, the ring, ring fencing arrangements. But again, I just repeat what I said, that, that, that you know, this, this new banking um, um, environment over the last couple of weeks needs to be considered in light of, of the advantages of, that, that ring fencing brings. Um, I mean, as as Henry has said, you know, we 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 await the outcome of reviews. Now we're in the post mortem stage. Um, there will be lessons to be learned by both regulators um, and by firms. And from a and from a, 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 a firm's perspective, there are one or two issues that, that that need to be addressed. I mean, I'm guessing, but I think it's a pretty safe guess that um, firms will already know what exposures they have to Silicon Valley Bank UK and probably the wider um, um, American corporation as well. And so firms need to be, need, need to be able to, to manage those uh, uh, relationships, those dependencies, many of which in the UK, I mean, should be business as usual now, HSBC picking up the, uh, uh, the responsibility for them. Um, but I suppose regulators and firms have this in common in that they are both looking at um, relationships, interdependencies, firms in a similar position or with a similar profile to ha- to what SVB had, and regulators. And I think the t- that one of the, the specific questions that the Treasury Select Committee have asked is that you know, do you know of any other firm in a similar position that uh, needs early action, sort of thing? And regulators will be away now um, um, exploring that, that, that particular question. But equally, firms will be also be looking at their interdependencies. But, and, and, this is, this, and this is my final um, 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 point, really. Um, so I suppose the summary of this is, is that you know, firms should, should be reviewing their recovery and resolution plans and their governance and risk management arrangements in the areas that are common to the Silicon Valley situation to see if any of the learnings, any of the early um, activity that, that's happened with SVB is pertinent to their firms and, and, and whether they're subject to the same sort of um, risks uh, and issues. And for me, that will be a good place to start from a firm looking independently SVB uh, until we hear more detailed pronouncements in the coming weeks. Well, a fast-moving situation to be sure. That seems like an appropriate time to bring today's proceedings to a close. Thank you, Henry and Mike, for your thoughts. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, Alex. And until next time. Compliance Clarified. A podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.